Martin and Gracia Burnham had served for years as missionaries in the Philippines. Back in 2002, they got away for a few days of rest and recuperation, when one morning the door of the cabin where they were staying was kicked in. We knew we were in big trouble and we knew that we were being kidnapped, but we didn't know by who. And then when we realized it was the Abu Sayyaf, we knew what was gonna happen because everyone follows all those hostage situations. It's like one starts and then it ends and everybody breathes easy for a bit and then another one starts and another one ends. And here it was us (laughs) in the middle of this. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll hear from Gracia Burnham today about the events that led up to the kidnapping and the 12-month hostage ordeal that she and her husband went through. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today. Thanks for joining us on the Wednesday edition. It was back more than a decade ago that we had the opportunity to sit down and talk with Gracia Burnham. Uh, together with her husband, Martin, Gracia had been held captive for more than a year by Islamic terrorists in the Philippines. And uh, her story had been followed by the American media was a powerful, compelling story and a a story of God's grace and his very real presence in the midst of suffering. We thought it would be good to revisit that story and listen back to what uh, stands out for us as one of the uh, most compelling programs we've featured on Family Life Today in our 20-plus years of ministry. So here is part one of our interview with Gracia Burnham originally recorded in 2003. We are going to feature a story over the next uh, couple of days, Bob, that uh, personally I've been looking forward to uh, hearing the rest of the story. I don't know uh, that I've ever heard of a couple giving away for a romantic weekend that was interrupted in such a dramatic way. I mean, picture yourself uh, in full-time ministry overseas and needing a break. Now, that occurs in missionary staff, and they need to get a break. And so uh, uh, this couple decided they would find a, a cool spot. And they found a cool spot and were sleeping when there was a at the door. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the story is, um, man, it's a story of faith, of courage, of suffering that um, – well, I was riveted by the book In the Presence of My Enemies, written by uh, Gracia Burnham, uh, and Gracia joins us on Family Life today. Thank you. It's a Gra- pleasure to be here. Gracia, I really have been looking forward to meeting you. Barbara watched me read your book, and she said, that must really that must really be good. Page turner. Huh? It is. Uh, Gracia and her uh, husband, Martin, served with New Tribes Missions for more than 17 years. Mm-hmm. They have uh, three children. I want you to tell us about that romantic getaway. You really needed it, didn't you? Well, yes. Um, New Tribes Mission Aviation, Martin was a jungle pilot, had been after Martin to become their new chief pilot from the Philippines. And he'd just been in the States two weeks, 
And the pilot on Palawan's dad died. And so that pilot had to go home to the States for a funeral, which meant that there were Bible translators that needed to get from one village to another, and there were kids that needed to get home from Faith Academy. Um, There was a busy flight schedule on Palawan, and Martin called me from the States and said, I'm not going to be able to come home. I'm going to have to go to Palawan and fly. So I cleared up my schedule and went to meet him in Palawan, got someone to take care of the kids where we live. But I knew that he would have jet lag and would need some time to rest. Right. So I called our coworkers on Palawan and said, where is a good place where we can go for, you know, just even 24 hours mm. so Martin can rest and sleep and get ready for a heavy flight schedule? And they told me about Dos Palmas, a resort that was an island all of its own off the coast of Palawan. And to get there, you had to take kind of a fishing vessel. Mm. So I told my friends to book us in. And then they told me the price. And it was right on the tip of my tongue to say, oh, uh, could you just find us a place in town? And I didn't say it because our anniversary was coming up. And I justified the cost by saying, this will be our anniversary treat. (laughs) And we did. We went to Dos Palmas and had a wonderful time, a beautiful meal, and it was really, really nice. And went to bed that night, and then even before dawn, the next morning, that knock on the door, the pounding on the door woke us up. And three men with M16s ran into the room and took Martin immediately out. And then a guy came over to me and pointed his weapon at me and said in English, go, go, go. And I said, no, 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 I don't have clothes on. And I was just trying to grab something um, right there by the bed. And I grabbed what I'd had on at the beach the night before, just shorts and a T-shirt. And they uh, took me right out the door, and they emptied all the little cottages that we were staying in that were on stilts over the water. And when they emptied all those out, there were 20 of us hostages, three Americans, and the rest were Filipinos. And as we pulled away from the dock, they raised their weapons in the air. I guess there were about 15 of these guys, and we knew right away it was the Abu Sayyaf. They're a... Muslim terrorist organization who funds itself by kidnapping and ransom. Hmm. But they'd never been known to be on Palawan. We always avoided the hot spots in the Philippines. And for some reason, the Abu Sayyaf chose Palawan and Dos Palmas. So was it not until that moment on the boat with the guns raised that you knew who these people were and what what the agenda was? Yes, that's when we knew who they were. Prior to that, when, when somebody's in your bedroom with a gun pointed at you, what are you thinking? Well, we knew we were in big trouble, and we knew that we were being kidnapped, but we didn't know by who. And then when we realized it was the Abu Sayyaf, we knew what was going to happen because we read the newspapers, and a year before they had taken a bunch of European business people from an island down closer to Malaysia. And everyone follows all those hostage situations. It's like one starts and then it ends. And here it was us (laughs) in the middle of this. 
let's leave the speedboat for a moment mm-hmm. and let's go back to uh, when you and Martin met. All the way back to the beginning of your relationship, mm-hmm. you uh, you both were really missions minded from the very beginning, weren't you? Yes, we were. Martin grew up on the mission field. His parents are tribal missionaries. Uh, when Martin was a little boy, they moved their family to the Philippines and started working with the Ibaloi tribe, a tribe up in the mountains where there are no roads. And to reach those people, they built a small airstrip, and that's Hmm. how they would get their supplies. A pilot in a bush plane would bring their supplies and their medicines and stuff to them. So uh, Martin... Martin grew up in that. Martin grew up there, and he went off to boarding school at Faith Academy, which was a a very common thing to do back then. People didn't really homeschool back then. Mm -hmm. And... um, When he graduated from high school, he went to Calvary Bible College in Kansas City, Mm -hmm. and that's where I met him. I was a Calvary student, and we got to know each other, and I liked Martin because he was different. A lot of the guys I knew, you know, they really cared about how they looked and had to be, we didn't use the word preppy back then, but (laughs) they were, you could tell they were just trying their best to be preppy. Well, Martin truly wasn't. He... (laughs) He loved jeans and flannel shirts and cowboy boots, and he was just himself, and um, I just really liked that. And we got to know each other and... Started out as a friendship. Yes, yes, for sure. And then when did he ask you out? Um, huh. When it really became a relationship. You, you, well, be, you became an item for him. Well, I, I broke up with this guy. You know the story. My heart was broken. I had just broken up with this guy and thought, you know, I will never date again. And that's it. My life is ruined. And the very next day, Martin walked into the dean's office where I was the dean of students secretary and um, asked me if I wanted to go to the fall concert of all things, and, well, um, I decided to say yes. Your broken heart was was not healed. <laughs> but... little salve on it real quick. <laughs> did, did you, prior to knowing Martin, did you have a missions orientation? Oh, I did. My favorite books were the books about Amy Carmichael and Mary Slessor, you know, who went into uh-huh. tribes in Africa and told the chief off. It, those were my heroes, <laughs> and I always had a heart for missions. So your friendship with Martin, which was beginning to grow and increase, uh, his friendship with you growing and increasing, both of you with a heart for the field, there had to be conversations in those early days about where you thought you were both headed in service to the Lord. Um, yes, I'm sure there were. Um, I don't feel like I was attracted to Martin because he was headed for the mission field, though. I just really fell in love with him, truly, and um, I think God called me to Martin. I just never doubted that. I thought God wanted me to marry Martin, and I don't think it would have mattered what Martin was doing. I was thrilled that he was going to be a missionary, but if he had chosen to be an airline pilot... I would have been happy with that because mm-hmm. I just wanted to be with him, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. How um, how did he propose to you? 
I mean, an airline pilot, you have to figure he's going to pull a, a banner in the sky or something. You know, <laughs> He's got access to, to yeah. stuff we don't have. So did, did he have some flair to him in that regard? Um, well, he was going to go home with me for a spring break. And, um, you know, it was just a normal trip. And then we got into southern Missouri, and there was a sign at the side of the road that said Burnham, Burnham, Missouri, two miles that way. And Martin said, have you ever been to Burnham? And uh, I said, actually, I did drive to Burnham. Uh, one time when I was headed home, there's nothing there. And uh, he said, well, let's go see it again. So we drove the two miles, and it's true. There's nothing in Burnham. There's a, there's a little Baptist church and an old, broken-down, dilapidated gas station that yeah. You know, obviously doesn't work. Now, we'd like to just say to our listeners in Burnham, we think you have a wonderful community. No. That's exactly Sorry. No. <laughs> I'm sure there are some very nice people in Burnham, but I, I don't know what they live in because I didn't even see any houses in Burnham. So you... But there on the lawn of Burnham Baptist Church, he asked me if I would marry him. Hmm. And my answer was, are you sure? Uh, you know, I just... I thought, are you sure you want to marry me? And uh, really, then, yes. And then he started saying, you know, well, I've talked to your parents, and I just wanted to make sure he had really thought this through. As if you need to tell some guy that he's making this life-changing decision. <laughs> so, of course, I said yes. I loved him. And you were married. Mm-hmm. And how long then before you headed off on your overseas adventure? Um, we crop dusted for one summer in Nebraska so he could get some real good uh, training for the mission field. Mm -hmm. And then we, right after that, we went into New Tribes mission training. And their training is quite extensive. You go to, they call it Missions Institute now. It used to be called boot camp. You go for a year of boot camp just to see if you can live in Spartan conditions, mm -hmm. I guess is what you would call it. Well, and I have to imagine a young bride at boot camp. Oh, my goodness, yes. You know, part of the, uh, the romance of being married, you can, you can think about the mission field will be exciting. It will be fun. But the, about the 40th time you're carrying the slop water up the hill, did you have some doubts? Did you think, couldn't we serve the Lord in some other capacity? Um, I had doubts about whether I could do it. There were several girls in my shoes who had just gotten married and gone off to boot camp. And, you know, it came time to cook. I didn't know really how to cook yet. And I remember buying a chicken. You know, if you buy a whole chicken, it's cheaper. And I got the chicken home, and I didn't know how to cut it up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had to go to the neighbor and say, um, you know, could you teach me how to cut up a chicken? Mm -hmm. But how good that was, um, you know, on the mission field, you end up catching your chicken and plucking your chicken <laughs> and cutting up your chicken. So you have to learn someday. But there was never any thought of, I don't know that I... I want to live for the next 10 years, 15 years in conditions like we're simulating here at boot camp? No. No, I was happy to do that. I mean, you're, you're not talking about what kind of wallpaper do you want in the kitchen. No. Oh, my goodness. You know, and, and no. a, a lot of young ladies grow up dreaming of, of that domestic life. Yeah. Well, you know what? I really loved Martin. It, it may not make a whole lot of sense, but I was happy to do anything God had called him to do. Mm. And 
Maybe I wasn't going to have that little house with the white picket fence, but life was going to be good because I would be with him and I would be doing what God had called us to do. You, uh, you then went to the Philippines and Martin began to fly. And the reason I wanted to say that is I want to read a paragraph from your book that struck me because it, it gives us a glimpse into the character of the man you married. You write, before long, Martin knew everything about every missionary. He knew who was struggling financially. He knew which husbands and wives weren't getting along. He knew who was discouraged with language study because they weren't catching on as fast as they had hoped. He saw the newborn babies. He got to congratulate missionary kids on their homeschool projects. He met villagers who had recently become believers. Martin was the perfect person to hear it all. He just had a heart for everyone he came in contact with, and everyone who knew him loved him. He was more than a pilot. Yeah. I, I really like that because, you know, we think sometimes that a, a pilot for New Tribe's mission is just going to be on a task, mm-hmm. flying supplies in, flying mm-hmm. people in and out, mm-hmm. and yet he took an interest in the people he served. Yeah. You know, Martin used to say... We didn't think of ourselves as the real missionaries. In our minds, the real missionaries were the people in the tribe, learning the language, doing literacy, doing medical, learning a new culture, planting churches, doing Bible translation. And we were just there to keep the tribal missionary in the tribe. That was our goal. In the midst of um, all these flights in and out, uh, God was growing your faith at the same time. In fact, there's a story you tell uh, about a time when you were moved to pray for Martin uh, during one of these trips. Yeah, that was um, one year just before Christmas. I think it was his last flight before Christmas break. A Kind of an unusual flight for us because it was a businessman that wanted a flight to Davao. And... Martin took him and our buyer. Uh, The buyer is the person who buys everything for these, you know, eight to ten families that you service out in the jungle. He just buys all day long and boxes things up and makes sure they're in the hangar on the right day. And Martin was about ten minutes into his flight, and he called me and said, "Um, we have a problem here. And then there was silence. And I waited and... And nothing happened for a minute. And so I called him back and said, "Um, are you going to tell me what your problem is? And he said, I'm losing oil pressure. Something's wrong here. And I'm above the clouds. So I, I don't know what's below us. So a few minutes later, he called and said, "Um, I've turned the engine off because we were pumping oil overboard And before the engine seized on its own, he turned it off, and he had just broken through the clouds, and he could see the valley below him. Well, now he was just, you know, gliding Mm. into the valley. And and our listeners need to understand that when you turn off the engine on a plane, you don't just go into a nosedive. You glide for a while. You glide, yes. So he was able to control the plane and keep it flying yes. even though the engine was off. Yeah. We have an interesting photo. <laughs> the buyer took a photo of the stopped propeller, and it was 
it was so quiet in the cockpit, and especially that businessman was mm-hmm. very quiet. And they started gliding into the valley, and Martin started looking, and there was an SIL, Wycliffe Bible Translators Center, down in that valley. And Martin said, I'm going to try to make it to the SIL base. And he did. He said he cleared their fence about 50 feet, he said, and came to a dead stick landing, Hmm. and he had called them ahead to tell him about the emergency, and they said they had a hallelujah meeting when he got on the ground. (laughs) I bet bet his wife on the other end of the radio was having a hallelujah meeting. She was. Oh, Martin. You, You know, he always had a sense of humor, and that day when he came home, you know, it could have been a dramatic, oh, I was so worried about you, and he, he walked in the gate, and he looked at me with his twinkle in his eye, glanced at his watch, and he said, I told you I'd be home by 10. <laughs> you know, it was just a... Another day? That's how he was. He just always saw the good. But didn't you, in the back of your mind after moments like that, think, we, we've done enough here? No, I never thought that. In fact, that was the best Christmas we ever had because we, we were enjoying each other so much. We knew that things could have happened much differently, and we had the most wonderful Christmas. No, we never talked about not doing that again. We loved what we were doing. But the next time, the inj- he might not have made it to the base. That's true. And that's just part of how you live. These things happen, I guess, huh? Those things happen in America. You can go off to work, and you have no guarantee that yeah. you're going to come home at night. Yeah, the folks... Uh, we just forget. Uh, ...on uh, September 11. That's mm-hmm. right. You know, the same thing. God has a plan for us. Yeah. We just live under the illusion thinking we're in control. Yeah. We're really right. not in control. And you're going to hear a dramatic story over the next couple of days that... If you were in the middle of that story, as as I had to put myself and, and my wife Barbara, and I had to think, how would I have translated what was happening? It was uh, such insanity to, to think of being captured and kidnapped by a terrorist group and to watch the conditions under which uh, Gracia and her husband lived for more than a year. But today, there are people listening to us who are living in circumstances that may not be in a a jungle spot in the Philippines, but they are in a jungle of their own. Mm -hmm. And the God of the universe wants to reach out to you and let you know he wants to to take the insanity and make sense of it. Mm -hmm. He wants to teach you to trust him. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. It's not a myth. It's not a, a story that somebody made up. He's here. He's alive. And he can guide you even through the darkest moment. Yeah, and I think about the um, the hundreds of thousands, really the millions of people who heard a testimony of your faithfulness back when this happened in 2002. And in the years since then, um, Gracia has written a book called In the Presence of My Enemies. It was a New York Times bestseller. It sold more than 350,000 copies, and in fact, you have, since the book was published, you've gone back and you've revised it and updated it and included information in the book about a return trip to the Philippines that you've taken since all this happened. 
Um, we've got copies of the updated version of the book in the presence of my enemies in our Family Life Today Resource Center. And if our listeners are interested, they can go online at familylifetoday.com to request a copy. Go to familylifetoday.com, click the link in the upper left-hand corner of the screen that says Go Deeper, and you'll see information about Gracia's book uh, right there. You can order it from us online, or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to place your order. So again, familylifetoday.com is the website. Toll-free number is one 800 358 6329. The title of the book is In the Presence of My Enemies, written by our guest today, Gracia Burnham. You know, I think uh, one of the things that Gracia's story illustrates is the importance of us having a firm foundation spiritually in our lives because none of us knows what's around the corner. None of us knows what's coming tomorrow for us what events, what circumstances we may have to face. And the time to pour a solid spiritual foundation in your life is not when the storms are coming, it's uh, before they come. So that when the storms come, you can stand firm and, and find your hope and your strength in Christ. We're committed here at Family Life to helping you with that. Our goal is to provide practical, biblical help for your marriage and your family day in and day out. We want to effectively develop godly families who change the world one home at a time. And we're grateful that uh, there are listeners like you who share that burden and who have joined with us in this ministry as financial supporters. We're listener-supported. More than 65% of the funding we need to operate this ministry comes from people making donations, either as monthly legacy partners or as folks who contribute from time to time in support of the ministry. In fact, if you'd like to make a donation right now, it's easy to do. You can go to familylifetoday.com, click the link in the upper right-hand corner of the screen that says, I care, and make an online donation. Or you can call 1-800-FL-TODAY to make your donation over the phone. Or you can mail your donation to us at Family Life Today, Box 7111, Little Rock, Arkansas. And our zip code is 72223. Now tomorrow we're going to hear more about the 12-month ordeal as Martin and Gracia Burnham were in captivity, held by... Uh, Islamic terrorists in the Philippines. We'll hear more of that story tomorrow. Hope you can tune in for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, along with our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas. Help for today. Hope for tomorrow.